Welcome to The Perfect Storm, a bi-weekly podcast for business executives and cybersecurity professionals. Industry veterans Michael Markulek and Matthew Webster chat with guests about the latest cyber news, threats, and trends, and how all of it impacts their businesses. Harbor Technology Group is a cybersecurity consulting firm that offers advisory services to the SMB. Harbor believes by taking a proactive rather than reactive approach to cybersecurity, business leaders can develop a cybersecurity program that will address external requirements, exceed client expectations, and ultimately take their organization to the next level. Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. Welcome back to another edition of The Perfect Storm. I'm honored today to have Laura Belmain, CEO of SafeStack Academy, join us. SafeStack is an online education platform offering flexible, high-quality, and people-focused development training. Laura is also an accomplished author, a speaker at many cybersecurity conferences. Laura, welcome to The Perfect Storm. Please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and a little bit about SafeStack. Sure. And thank you so much for having me, Michael. It's great to be here today. Um, So like most of us, um, I sort of got to I'm I'm an application security specialist. So I sit in this weird hybrid world between software development teams and um, folks trying to keep them safe. Um, But I didn't intend to get there. Um, I started at age 16, like most of us did, by accident, ending up in technology um, and ended up as an apprentice COBOL developer on tax systems, which is a truly glamorous starting point. Um, And since then, I have been around the world building all sorts of incredible software. So from radiation monitoring software through to counterterrorism. And um, about 12 years ago, I was very stubborn and I I couldn't believe that we'd gone all of this way with technology. We were building software so fast, but the way that we did security hadn't changed at all. And so um, I put my money where my mouth was, which was the grand sum of $300 back then. And uh, I started my own consultancy and started working uh, with high growth, fast paced organizations all around the world, trying to do security at the speed that they were doing software development. Um, And lately, uh, since 2020, turned that into a platform. So the idea being that myself and my co-founder, we were the virtual CISOs and the virtual AppSec leads for all of these companies, but you had to be a certain age and stage company to come and have someone like me come and uh, help you out. So we built the platform so that any development team anywhere in the world, and we're currently in 79 countries, can help themselves to do application security and they can weave it through their whole software development lifecycle. Um, and now I live in New Zealand, so I'm quite far away uh, from uh, the folks at, at Perfect Storm. Uh, but it's really truly that you know, AppSec is everywhere around us, as is amazing software. And it's such an exciting space to be in. Right, as I mentioned, we were doing a little prep. Um, You know, Harbor does a lot of work for fintech, uh, health tech, you know, startups. And it's funny, my business partner was talking this morning, he was communicating with uh, a a development team in the Ukraine, um, and never thought that you would be having conversations about, you know, airstrikes in the middle of a a software development conversation. But it brings me back to, you know, my days at Lumetta when we were 
um, developing software. We were developing primarily for large, complex networks. And, and not being a developer myself, I, I was always amazed that code first, you know, test it and, 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 you know, build security in afterwards. And uh, it seems to me that, you know, that model was always backwards. You know, any comment, any thought, and, you know, what is SafeStack kind of doing to uh, to help make the development process more secure? Yeah, I, I, I think in some ways we did ourselves a disservice as a security industry. Um, you know, I love my people. I love you, Michael. We've only just met, but we're going to be great friends. Um, but we spent a long time making security a separate thing, you know, building teams, building tooling that would detect uh, and respond after the event. Um, and partially it's because we were so separated from the software areas. At SafeStack, we believe that security has a little role to play all the way through the lifecycle and that it isn't separate to what we do in dev. In development, we have the idea of the illities. Now, those are um, qualities in our software that mean it's good software. So that could be things like performance and scaling and usability. Um, and we believe at SafeStack that security is part of those. So we encourage our dev teams to do just one hour of security. And I don't just mean, you know, one person on the team. I mean, every single development team member, so that's your testers, your analysts, your architects, everyone, do one hour of security per sprint. Now, that's a tiny amount in the grand scheme of things. But if you imagine, you know, you've got 10 engineers, you've got 1,000 engineers, that really adds up. And that's the difference between, hey, we did some testing and things at the end, and hey, we spent an hour this sprint doing a bit of a design review or doing a threat assessment or discussing this new incident that we've seen or a bug that's in our code. So it's really about bringing it home, changing the ownership to the dev team so that they feel empowered, that they have the agency and accountability to take care of it, and then a little bit of time to get the job done. Sure. I mean, that's a, that's a great concept. And I spend a lot of time talking to CEOs um, about, you know, Security is not an IT problem, right? Security is not a development problem. Security is a management problem. Um, and, and getting uh, executives to spend a little bit of their time, right? Mm. You know, I, I tell CEOs, 10 hours a year, right? About a half a percent of your working time, I want you to spend on cybersecurity, purely cybersecurity. Um, and it doesn't seem like a lot, but those little changes make a big difference over time. Um, uh, absolutely. So I, yeah, I tend to think it's it's kind of this grander problem where, you know, we we can't pigeonhole security. We can't put those IT guys in the deep, dark basement. We got to call them in. We got to invite them mm -hmm. to the table um, because now everything's interconnected. I don't care whether you're a, a, a construction company, a manufacturing company or a startup software development firm. Everything is related to your IT. Security can ruin the entire business. So it's interesting. I noticed in your book you talk about, you know, the idea of small and medium-sized businesses using security and, and you know, safety as, as kind of a growth mechanism. So uh, comment on that a little bit, if you would. Sure. Well, we're all interconnected, right? We buy and sell from each other all the time. And, you know, we we spend a lot of time talking about the negatives of security. But what we don't talk about is actually the amazing impact it can have on those relationships with your potential customers. So your potential customer, when they buy from you, their job is to try and understand, are you going to increase their risk or decrease their risk? You're going to make their world better in a way that outweighs the impact it could have on their security. And so by embracing security and bringing it in through everything you do, and not in huge expensive ways, but in very practical ways, um, 
that conversation becomes a lot easier. And when a sales conversation is easy and full of trust, then the sales come with it. So you can actually use this as a as a growth mechanism. You know, smaller organizations embracing security in a pragmatic and practical way can use that to sell to much larger organizations much earlier on. Whereas you might have to wait till, you know, you're a certain age and stage to pass their bar or criteria. Yeah, that, 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 that's certainly true. And, and you mentioned the, the, the cost. You know, I'm amazed as I talk to CEOs that they think that, you know, security is going to be this great cost. And I think we've, as you said, as an industry, we've done ourselves a disservice um, where we've played this whack-a-mole, you know, apply technology fix here, technology fix there. When, when basic good networking, when basic good practices, software development practices are really what you want to do, right? Yeah. You want to make sure that you're doing the basics and the basics almost come for free. So there's a funny thing that happens with our brains, Michael, just as a, a little side note, is uh, our brains love dopamine, right? That's the chemical we get when we yep. achieve something novel and, and when there's a challenge. And probably 80% of the attacks we see on organizations, big and small, they were simple vulnerabilities that were exploited. They were not, you know, it wasn't a Hollywood heist. It was something that was preventable, that was exploited. But our brain doesn't get that dopamine hit from si fixing the basics. It just likes to focus on the big Hollywood heist. So you've kind of got to trick your brain a little bit to say, hey, we need to get these boring basics done because they're not going to cost us a lot of money, but they're going to prevent, you know, 80 percent of the attacks we see day to day. Um, so, yeah, if you are in that space and you're like, oh, yeah, I've got to focus on this very big, hard challenge. Just check that you're not uh, looking for the dopamine. Um, and uh, instead of doing those brilliant basics that uh, we know so much about. Well, it's interesting. The bad guys get that, too. Oh, right? absolutely. I mean, the That's why they do it. We do simulated fishing and the most successful simulated fishing test we run is you've got 53 new people that, you know, that saw your LinkedIn profile and everybody mm -hmm. goes right to the, you know, clicks on it, tries to log in because they want to see who's, you know, who's clicked on their mm -hmm. profile, who's, you know, who's viewed them. So, yeah, I think the bad guys get that as well. In terms of, you know, overall security, I think your message kind of resonates beyond just businesses. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about individual protection. And I'm a big proponent of it. I tell people all the time, if you have identity theft with one of your employees, they're not fixing at eight o'clock at night at home. They're fixing it at 1130 before lunch um, on your time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how, what's your view of kind of just, you know, educating the general public, making sure that everybody's a better Internet citizen? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of things that we've been doing very well over the years. You know, we've we've got good guidance out there, albeit not, you know, shared as widely as we could on things like password health. Um, but what we don't do is our guidance is often, you know, it's written by folks like us, Michael. Um, you know, we're tech savvy. We've been doing this a while. We've got the gray hairs to prove it. You know, we, you know, we've, we've been around gray a while. Than you, let's be clear. I, ju I just hide them with dye, uh, if I'm honest. Um and but what they don't take into account is that people are varied. So I live, for example, with my 80 year old mother in law because she needs a little bit of extra help. The security guidance on her accounts is just as important. You know, she still has assets. She still has accounts. She still uses online things just like everyone else. But even simple things like, you know, her finger doesn't recognize on fingerprint scanners on her phone. So she can't use biometric identification. Um, asking her to, you know, share passwords safely with a carer or with a support assistant super hard. So I think was well as the foundational advice we've been sharing for a while now, we need to start 
kind of looking at how that advice plays out with all of the people around us. Because if I'm an attacker, I'm very motivation focused and I'm very lazy and I'm going to get whichever path is easiest to get to my end result. And that's not necessarily going to be going after the sysadmin educated IT person. It's going to be whichever person happens to be around. And that could be, you know, someone younger, someone older, someone with a different set of skills. The other thing I think we need to change is have, have you played around with ChatGPT, Michael? I have. I was going to I was going to yeah. pivot there in a minute. But go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so now I think this is interesting for an attacker, right? Because back in the day we would say, hey, spot those spam emails because they've got spelling mistakes and they don't look legitimate. It's really easy to make very convincing phishing emails now with generative AI. And so I think we need to also look at what uh, controls in our organizations, uh, big and small, uh, that we can put in place to stop those messages getting through to begin with, because humans are not going to be good at spotting this. Yeah, I, you know, so I, I hadn't thought about it from a crafting of the email standpoint, but certainly spear phishing, uh, things like that. One of the areas that I'm concerned about is uh, the development lifecycle where folks are using you know, ChatGPT and other kind of online uh, 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 tools to kind of generate code, um, mm. you know, and, and, and you know, you know, a lazy developer who doesn't want to write a simple, you know, a, a simple set of scripts for a logon, all of a sudden now relies on, you know, ChatGPT to write it for them. Um, so I, I'm just concerned that we we're now kind of unleashed a whole new tool that makes it very easy to do things like write ransomware, right? Mm. You you can get the regenerative AI to write a, a ransomware code for you. Um, so you don't need to be a high-speed developer to get it done. Um, and I'm concerned that we're kind of, we're headed into a world that we just hadn't thought about before we uh, we released it for everybody's use. Yeah, um, I, 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 my family are kind of into myths and legends and we've been talking about it being a Pandora's box moment where it's all very nice that we're standing in front of regulators now and saying we should regulate this, but the box is open um, and it's out in the world. Now, you know, to be fair to engineers, and I am one of them, so, you know, I try not to be too lazy where I can. We've always had mechanisms for getting code samples for templates and that kind of right. thing. All we've done is change the availability of it. Um, so what I think we need to be very mindful of is you know, the expectations on practices. So it's not so much that you have to write every line of code for yourself. We've never done that, never, right. ever. But if you are going to use code that's been generated from somewhere else, then it has to be held to a high standard. And we have to articulate that, flag that code as being generated by something that wasn't us. And that's, it's just kind of a consciousness rather than a prevention sort of mechanism. Um, you know, the interesting thing about the DevOps community is we're all very well law-abiding citizens. But the um, in the the malicious world, um, the place where they write the ransomware and, and all that kind of stuff, they've been doing the same DevOps practices for years. You know, their code automation is there too. So it's it's funny that the the style of writing code hasn't changed. Whether you're evil or good, uh, we're still using the same tools as each other. Well, it's funny, and I mentioned this earlier. Being a, a mechanical engineer, not a not a not a computer science or software development. Um, you know, when I ran the the Lumetta, I always wondered why we didn't have, you know, better coding languages that didn't have errors built into <laughs> them and self-checkers and all those kind of things. But, uh, yeah, it seems that 
there the, on the and I was leaning towards the positive side of AI is I, I think there are some real advantages to you know finding malicious code or or mm. finding bad actors better. We looked at something like uh, even you know endpoint detection and response, right? Where we've now built machine learning and AI into what just used to be simple antivirus. So I think there is a positive side. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think we can get a lot smarter about, you know, how we protect endpoints, how we protect networks, how we protect applications. But, uh, yeah, it's going to take a while for this whole thing to kind of shake out. Yeah, and I think it's an exciting time to be in technology. It is scary. There's a lot of bad things. There's a lot of potential for bad. But I choose to be really actually pretty excited about what's happening, um, whether it's in robots or finance or healthcare. There is some incredible technology coming through that's going to have some real benefits for people. Um, so I think, you know, if you're going to be a security person or if you're going to bring security to your company right now, you're enabling that that amazing future to stay safe. And I think that's a pretty cool thing. Great. So I, you know, I'd like to give you a couple minutes. Any 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 closing thoughts, any closing advice? Again, you know, our small business kind of CEOs um, mm -hmm. who are challenged every day with finance, operation, legal you know, we now layer uh, information security risk on that. Any last minute advice for uh, that community? Yeah, absolutely. So just a couple of very short things. Firstly, you know, it is tough right now. There's a lot going on um, and it's easy to overlook stuff. Um, the most important thing you can do is give your team a little time to do some security. You know, budget is one thing, but they can get a lot done with no budget. But if they don't have the time to do it, they never will. So I'm not talking about weeks. I'm not talking about mega projects. I'm talking about a couple of hours here and there. And just that word from you saying this is important to us. That goes a long way, has a huge impact. So be the voice for security and give it a little bit of room to breathe. Um, secondly, you know, I, I do have a product company and I'm not going to hard sell you, but we have a free plan. And if your team builds software and you want to learn the basics of how to do security all through your software development lifecycle, check us out. There's no strings, there's no gimmicks, you don't have to put your credit card in, off you go. And um, you might find that your team, the, that wider engineering team, become a real powerful force for good across your whole company. So uh, that could be a really great thing in these, these current uh, times. That's perfect. And, and, you know, it kind of dovetails right into our consistent message that, you know, you know security is a management problem and let's, you know, let, let's focus on it as such. Um, you know, the problem's not with the developer. The problem's giving them the time, giving them the tools um, you know, to make sure that they're good. Well, thank you for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, as we were kind of uh, you know, warming up, um, we're, we're Harbor Technology Group. Um, I don't know if you've seen the, the, the website, but it's, you know, lighthouses and ports. Um, so what's, what's your favorite harbor? What's your favorite beach resort? What's your favorite uh, location? And if we showed up there, where would we go to uh, to have a have a beer and maybe a bite to eat? So I, I'm a bit biased because I live on a beautiful harbour. So um, I get to actually plug my little hometown. I live in um, uh, a town called Whangarei in the Bay of Islands um, in New Zealand. So it's literally a big bay with lots of islands and lots of sailing. Um, so we have lots of little harbours dotted all up the coast. And in each and every one of them, there's a little bar and there's a little place you can go and get some fish and chips and you can rent your fishing gear and all that kind of stuff. So I, I would rather than one harbour, I'm going to tell you to come visit the Bay of Islands in New Zealand. Um, and it's a very beautiful place to come and get lost. 
That's perfect. We'll pl- we'll plug that into our uh, our Google our Google Map and uh, make sure that our uh, listeners get a uh, get a taste of it. Again, very thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Um, super to get your perspective on this, and uh, yeah, just uh, let's continue the conversation. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Michael. Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. We would also like to thank Tom Marshall for the original music. Yes, that Tom Marshall from Fish fame. Harbor's portfolio of services is designed to meet the cybersecurity needs of small and medium enterprises. We offer a range of services from cyber risk advisory to VCSO consulting to meet specific security requirements without putting a strain on your technology budget. If you like what you heard here, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. We release new podcasts every other week and are available on Spotify and Apple. You can reach us through our website if you have additional questions or suggest a great harbor we should mention on our next show. 